courses the hooves are super hard before your farrier gets there it's really nice if you just have take an old um, carpet you can get it like di or if you pull some out of your garage or whatever lay it out like by your tie rail and then soak it with water till it's like seeping with water tie your horses on that after you've cleaned their hooves out before your farrier gets there and it really helps soften it up for your farriers welcome to the horsewoman project a podcast where we talk about all things horsewoman from relationships to truck issues taking care of your nutrition and fitness and of course horses All right, so our episode is about tips and tricks in horses, anything horse related, right? So everything from like tack hacks to um, training hacks to, I don't know, all sorts of things, winter hacks. Um, So I guess I'll start with the one that kind of jolted in me about winter and ice. So we don't have electricity to our stalls and our paddocks. So um, we have to break the ice, which again, you know, I talked about, we have mild winters here. So um, we don't usually have a ton of ice to break except for maybe about a month to two months out of the year. So um, we used to break the entire top sheet of ice, you know, cause the entire top mm-hmm. of the trough would ice over. So we would break all of it until it went down into the water. The last probably two years, and this was my husband's idea, um, we have started just breaking a hole big enough for their nose and their muzzle, you know, so that when they drink the water down there, the thicker part of their muzzle can still get in there. But we would, we would break just a big enough spot that their nose could get in. And that actually helps a ton because then their nose always goes to the same place. So it's always breaking the ice again and breaking it before it builds up really, really thick. Whereas when you break the entire top sheet and then it falls into the water, all of it ices over again within like an hour. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then they're without water again. So just a little bit of a tip there for winter time with horses. If you don't have electricity to put water heaters in, um, that helps a lot so that your horses have access to water for a few more hours out of the day. So then you only have to break water twice, maybe three times a day instead of having to break it like every hour. Another thing with that, if you do not have electricity, especially if this only works if you've got like Camry, more mild winters and thinner ice, but taking a milk jug and filling it just half full of salt water actually helps <laughs> and it'll it'll fall through the ice and then the horses can just push it down and then it keeps the ice from forming so you don't have to break ice more than just to put that in um i did that for the big like when it first started freezing here which it works good unless you've got a really mouthy horse like my mother <laughs> i was just about to say that i'm like <laughs> my horses would be playing with that thing and like yeah. swinging that jug around yep. <laughs> which is fine um but he did there was a couple of times he got the top off and so then it just like sucked in and and sunk down to the bottom um but it did work well if he kept it in the water um and i would put his because i've got a jolly ball so i'd make sure the jolly ball is there for him to play with but he still i mean he mouth he mouths on everything so if your horse isn't super mouthy that's a pretty nice one um especially if you're not like camry where you're not 
with your horses all day long if you're kind of worried about them that's that's just another little thing that you can try um I even tried putting the jolly ball in and just seeing if that would work and it didn't work as well as it did with the salt water and I think it's just because the salt water helps it sink a little bit better um and you have to make sure it's only half full otherwise it sinks to the bottom and it doesn't do anything <laughs> but the jolly ball actually didn't help at all so there there's another one good to know all right Michaela your turn I know but hello <laughs> I've got to read all of these <laughs> um I'm trying to think if there's another winter one like if we can just go on with winter stuff um <laughs> not really yeah not really I'm yes. trying to think if I have any other winter hacks yeah well, I guess um, if you are living somewhere where it's really snowy, I I don't know. I, I know there's some people who, who don't do this, which is why I'm going to say this, but having your horses barefoot in the winter, so helpful. Um, and truly barefoot and like trimmed barefoot where they don't have their walls are overgrown. Because um, if their walls overgrow, you'll get the ice balls as well. Uh, like when you have shoes on but you'll end up if you keep shoes on all year round you end up with huge ice balls that you have to go out every day and chip at and it's annoying so another winter hack pull your shoes off when when snow starts to fall and make sure that you keep them trimmed enough that the walls don't don't grow down and act like a shoe um and that will help yeah. keep the keep the ice from being balls on their feet yeah and actually I had a client once that had these pads that you put under the shoes if you do need shoes and I had never seen these before they were super interesting so it's this black pad on the hoof and it has a little bubble on it and so when the ice gets in there then it pops it back out and I was like, I had no idea that even existed. <laughs> like I have yeah, never seen it go. before, but it did work. It yeah. works. It would, it just would pop in and then pop back and pop that snow out. Hey, so that's perfect. Yeah. yeah that's There's another, another option. One. Yep. I've only ever seen the black pads that are just pads. I've never yeah, seen them. They're the just flat. Before. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes. I had, I've only ever seen it the once and I thought that was really neat. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I like it. Also, um, for winter too, we soak our, cause we, we do pellets and hay. So we soak our pellets in warm water. Um, and that's helpful as well. So it really brings up their body heat really quickly. Um, and then I feel better about it because I'm like, I hate, I would hate to give them cold, <laughs> cold mash in the cold winter, but it also, cause when you soak it, if it gets cold enough, it'll freeze to the bottom of your trough as well. And this keeps it from freezing up for a little bit longer. So the horses get through most of it before it freezes um, or has time to freeze, but that's another one. And then of course, another big winter hack is to salt your hay or salt your feed. Uh, so that it'll encourage drinking. You can even put out things like rainwater, which is a Redmond equine product. So you would put that where they have a small bucket of of the rainwater and then your regular water because um, you don't want to have only rainwater. You want some that's completely fresh and not um, salty. But that rainwater has got your electrolytes in it and everything as well. And it'll encourage drinking because um, some horses will colic in the winter especially if there's a big cold snap so make sure your horses have extra salt in the winter <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I love that. And one thing I do, and this only works if you've got more of a pasture <laughs> for your horses, if they're in stalls, it, it's hard to do, but I put, um, I have a track system, but I put my, like they, I feed them on one side of the track and then they have to wander all the way around the pasture to get to water. And that really boosts their movement, which also helps with the colicking because they're not standing around all day. And it also helps with their hooves and getting their blood flow going through. Um, but their salt and feed are all on one side and then they have to travel to get to the water on the other side, which works really well. I also, um, so I'll do like their pellets and, and salt in the winter on the same side. And then I will also do hay that's closer to the, to the water as well. So I know for sure that they're going to make the trip over there. Cause sometimes horses will just not want to drink or not want to go to the water, but if they're already at the water, my horses do pretty good at going and playing in the water and drinking it. Um, but yeah, I really love the Redmond, like the, their bags of salt. I really like, I'll, I'll put, I'll put like one or two scoops of that into their mashes in the morning. And that's been really helpful as well. Yeah, because sometimes they really just won't go lick a salt lick as well. So with the bags of salt, you can guarantee that they're getting it instead of just being like, are they going and licking it? How much salt are they getting? Then you know exactly how much they're getting. So yeah, and it is nice if you do do that. I haven't, I normally do that every winter, but this winter, because we don't live near Redmond and it's harder to get their products here and I just haven't shipped it. Um but it's nice to be able to pull in your blocks from like the summer, spring and fall and just store that in your barn and then do the, do the salt. But you have to make sure it gets done if you're going to do that, if you're going to pull the blocks. Um, but here, cause I try to keep my blocks, you know, up off the ground as much as possible, but because of the water retention, like I, I end up with pools of water at the end of my blocks, which then eats away the blocks. So I do, if I can, I like to pull those in and then just do the, the supplemental salt. But um, like Camry said, it is really nice because you know for sure that they're getting that salt and they're getting that mineral in. Um, yeah. Any other winter hacks? No, not that I can think of. Hey, maybe things will pop up as we talk and we'll be like, oh yeah. Right? <laughs> There's one thing I am trying this year. I can't say it's a true and tried hack, but I am trying it. I, um, cause you know, after winter, sometimes your horse's tails will end up being super thin and things cause it'll, they'll ball up and whatnot. Um, so I actually took Comanche cause Comanche does this for me on Sandy, but <laughs> I took Comanche's tail and I, I cut off like five inches of his bottom tail just to see if it'll grow a little bit thicker and a little bit more full at the bottom. Um, that's something I saw another, like a, a grooming lady um, who does grooming at barns was her thing. She's like, this is how I keep them is during the winter months, I'll cut them off here because it keeps them from stepping on it, keeps the ice from building up as much. And then in the summers, it'll grow, grow down even thicker. So I'm trying that out. I will report back if it does anything. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I actually just wrapped up a bunch of my longer tailed horses tails <laughs> in vet wrap. Um, I don't do it all the time, but I'll do it if we're really trying to grow something out or if a client prefers that. Um, some horses don't like the wraps, like it'll smack them <laughs> when, when it's wrapped and they don't like that. Um, but I have a Frisian right now and her tail is ground 
level you know it, it is long and thick and it was again like just balling up but I'm like I am not cutting this <laughs> so we wrapped it up um, and I guess there's another hack too instead of buying the expensive tail bags which are like 20 plus dollars a pop um I love using vet wrap which a lot of I see a lot of people doing it in the circle of horse people that I'm in and it's you just wrap it you braid the tail kind of wrap the tail up around itself and then wrap your vet wrap vertically once through the braid so that it won't slide off the end and then wrap it around um, I will post a link to this in the comments but um, it it works so well and then it's only depending on how thick your horse's tail is um, you only use about half a thing of vet wrap um, with the Frisian, we did have to use a full thing of vet wrap because she had so much hair that we just had to wrap more um, and wrap a bigger section. But that has been one thing I have really, really loved. Um, and then it, this time of year, there's no flies, so I don't attach um, hay string to it. But when it's fly season, I just wrap some hay string into it so they still have a way to swat the flies away. And it is has been my favorite of all the different tail wrapping or tail bag things that I have tried so yeah I you're the one who actually showed me how to do that because I was more in circles who used the tail bags and the tail braids um and it was really nice until until my Mustang chewed everybody's off but <laughs> <laughs> oh Comanche I know he's so I loved him love 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 okay <laughs> Um, I love that. So any other, I feel like we've, for us not having any winter hacks, we've come up with a lot. So I know we're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, oh yes. And, 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 okay. One thing that I really love that I learned from, um, my mentor, who's a trimmer is in the summer months when your horse's hooves are super hard before your farrier gets there, it's really nice. If you just have taken old, um, carpet, you can get it like or if you pull some out of your garage or whatever lay it out like by your tie rail and then soak it with water till it's like seeping with water tie your horses on that after you've cleaned their hooves out before your farrier gets there and it really helps soften it up for your farriers without creating a muddy mess because I used to just soak like or let their water troughs run so there was a little bit of mud around their water trough so they would have to stand in something a little bit more moisture filled but this was so much better because then I don't have the flies that the mud gives when you do that um or the mud issue so this is something that I do with my horses is especially in the summer I'll I'll have them stand on there for at least 30 minutes it's really nice if it's a little bit longer but if you know like what time your farrier is going to get there just go out there clean out their hooves tie him up for at least 30 minutes before your farrier gets there and he will love you I promise awesome so sticking with hooves here for a second um holding your hoof pick this is something that with almost every beginner that I've ever taught I have to teach them how to hold the hoof pick and Michaela I don't know if you teach them the same way that I do um you'll have to give me your two cents on that but I tell people to hold it upside down so that the hoof pick is like if you're holding your fist up and you like do thumbs up the hoof pick should be coming down out of by your pinky underneath and the reason for this is a lot of people will actually hold it the other way where the hoof pick is coming out the top by your thumb and they'll sit there and scrape layers and layers and layers and take like 20 minutes per hoof to pick out a hoof 
right? Because you're only using your hand and your wrist. You don't have any leverage to use your arm and the rest of your body for strength to get some of this stuff out of their hoof. Because especially where I live, we have clay soil. So that clay packs in there, like it gets so hard and, and packed in there. So when you hold that hoof pick upside down, you're able to push really hard and use your entire arm to dig out um, anything that's stuck in there. So if you are not doing it that way, try it and it might feel weird at first, but I promise you it is so much easier. <laughs> yeah, you'll get a lot more out for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, that's what I do do and that's what I have people do, but I never thought about it as being a teaching opportunity. <laughs> so I do like that. Um, I think with that too, don't, especially when you're using that much pressure, be very careful if you're coming towards yourself. I have stabbed myself so hard in the hand a couple of times doing that. Um, well, and there's so the other way. Yeah. Always go heel to toe. Mm-hmm. If you always go heel to toe in the frog, start at the, at the corners mm-hmm. of the, the heels so, yeah. and then go towards the center of the frog then you're never gonna hit yourself. Uh-huh. <laughs> so there you go. Well, what I want to share this one. Um, okay. This is one that I watched a video on and I was like, Camry, did you know this geniusness? <laughs> <laughs> she was like, yeah, like my whole life. Where have you been? Anyways, um, <laughs> it's about putting blankets on your horses in a way that that doesn't irritate them. So, and I'm talking like your saddle pads and and things. So I just always just put them on the horse, right? Like, okay, I just swung it on. This is about where it is. If I need to adjust it, I just adjust it up or whatever. But, um, I can't remember whose video it was that I was watching. Um, but what you actually want to do is put it up a little bit farther up their neck and then push it down into place because it lays their hair down and keeps it from grabbing it as you're riding and irritating their skin which mind blown I feel like I have to go apologize to every horse I've ever ridden in my life after I heard that one but yeah it's one of those you would think it would almost be common sense but it really was not yeah yeah and I was taught that in call I think at Utah State it might have even been at Melville Stables um, in high school, but it was way, way early on. Um, and I can't remember who taught it to me. It just was something that I always did. And in my beginner lessons, it is one of the first things I teach as they are saddling. Cause they'll, they'll put it back further back and be like, is this right? And then I'm like, nope, it needs to be further forward. But then they slide it along their back instead of picking it up. And I'm like, Oh, nope, we can't do it that way. You have to lift, and, and put it further forward and then slide it back. So I always tell my students one to two inches further up the neck, at least than you think it should be. So that then when you need to adjust it, it, it lays that hair down nice and smooth instead of roughing it up. So yeah, genius. <laughs> no, isn't this so funny how you're like, how did I not know that? Right. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, there's so many things like that. Yeah, that I'll watch something. I'm like, why wasn't this just common sense my whole life? I don't know why. <laughs> that is one of them. Yeah. So let's continue on with tacking, right? So we've got the blanket or the saddle pad first. So any hacks for swinging a saddle on for small girls? 
Um, I was never a small girl, so you better take that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you just have a lot of young students. Like, what do you teach? I them? guess that's true. <laughs> no, um, um, go you ahead. go ahead. <laughs> no, no. You've got way more experience in the small category than I do. <laughs> so I'm five foot. Okay. Tiny tangent here, guys. In a previous episode, I said five foot two. Recently, I found out I'm actually five foot three. So, in you liars, people are confused. I'm like, well, why did you say five foot two? I'm five foot three. <laughs> um, so, I'm small and very petite. I'm a narrow bodied, small, petite person. So, these saddles are heavy western saddles english saddles not so much if you're an english person you probably don't even need to listen to me because you can lift that darn thing up and put it on your 17 hand beast no problem uh, but if you are me and you have this big heavy western saddle uh lifting that out away from your body and up over your head to get it on your horse is next to impossible um, unless you do a ton of strength training um, then maybe but you need to work with some momentum and with your the core of your body. So what I like to do with swinging a saddle on, especially because I don't want to get it like halfway on and hurt my horse's withers. Like I want to be able to swing that thing up there and get it where I want it. So I don't have to rub the horse wrong and do things that are uncomfortable for the horse. So I put the saddle up against my body and I hold under the pummel or on the saddle horn on the front. And then in the back, depending on if you have a Cheyenne roll, or not, you can grab the back of the Cheyenne roll or under your skirts if you've got a straight back cantle. And then I keep it up against my body and then I swing it. You have to be careful swinging that your stirrups aren't going to hit your shins because ouch. Um, and so then I'll keep it against my body. Don't hold it out away from your body and you're going to go one, two, and then three. And I'll lift my leg and kind of help push it up there with my leg as well. And then use my body to kind of rock it up there. And then I get that momentum going, I get it up there and then I place it on my horse. And that way you can get it lifted um, a lot easier with a little bit more momentum and, uh, and get it up there without having to have someone come and help you. Um, so just a little bit of a tip there for small people with heavy saddles and tall horses. <laughs> Yep, especially if you don't have a really good solid mounting block to be able to just walk it up. That is that is exactly how I teach it too. It's like pop your leg, start from like a 90 degree angle by your horse, swing and pop your leg at the same time and you can yep. get it on. If you um I I liked to have my kids practice like on fences um that were like, you know, they can just put it on the fence post and just practice that movement. So you're not irritating your horse's back or accidentally hitting them if you can't quite get it right. Cause it does take it. You need that swing. So you don't hit your horse in the side with anything. Um, so practice on a fence. If you, if you're in this category and you're having a hard time practice on a fence, a couple of times, get that movement down until you're strong enough to do it. And then, yeah, then you'll get it on. No problem. Awesome. So let's see, we've got the saddle cinches would be what's next. Um, so one of the most common things that I deal with with cinches is people putting a back cinch too loose or doing the cinches out of order. Or not having the tie between the two cinches. Oh yeah, that one too. <laughs> you have to have a connecting piece from your front cinch to your back cinch. If you're a Western rider. Yeah. English riders are probably like they yeah, they don't have back cinches. But. <laughs> but yeah, for our Western riders, you have to have that. Um, 
I have had two different situations with clients that they did not have that. And one of them turned into a big bucking fit uh, because that cinch, that rear cinch went back and up into the flank. So um, the other one didn't turn into that. We caught it before it happened. <laughs> um, but it, it is very, very important to make sure that that flank strap or not the flank strap, the back cinch does not become a flank strap. <laughs> a flank strap is what they use on bucking like Broncos. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what that is, go look up like rodeos and, and uh, bronc, bronc riding and you'll see what we're talking about when we say flank strap. Yeah. So you, to make it a habit so that you don't do it wrong. Um, I always tell, like my habit is to always do the girth first. So your front cinch, that is the most important strap. The rest of it is extra and a bonus, but that strap is your one that's going to hold your saddle on. Um, and that's the one that you're going to, they call it a cinch for a reason. You know, you cinch it up, you pull, you pull it fairly tight so that your saddle stays secure. So that one always goes on first. And then my habit and routine for me is to then do the back cinch and then do the breast collar. So that way I know my saddle is secure before I start working on my other straps. Because if you do say breast collar first and then something spooks your horse, where's your saddle going to end up? around your horse's neck down by their front feet you know like, <laughs> um and and if you do your back cinch first same thing what's going to happen if your horse you know sh shrugs and does that like shake thing and it slips off or things like that um the one incident that i had with a horse was um they undid the front cinch and didn't undo the back cinch went to pull the saddle off and were, was like oh crap that back cinch is still on and it jerked on that horse's belly and then she started bucking and um, the saddle ended up having to come all the way over her butt down her hind legs and off the back that way <laughs> and it was a big mess and, and luckily they it didn't take too much of a work through to get her feeling a little bit better about the saddle but um, some horses that can scar them for life <laughs> for a yeah. very long time and create some trauma issues there so just make it a routine whether it is you do your front cinch and then breast collar and back cinch or you do front cinch back cinch then breast collar um just make sure that front cinch is always the first thing on last thing off um, and and if you make it a habit then you don't have to as much consciously think about it every single time of like oh which strap is on which strap is off it just becomes muscle memory and keeps you safe and keeps your horse safe so yeah yeah that's exactly what I teach too it's just always think the most important piece the cinch or the girth which whichever language you're going to use um should always be the first one off and the last one off or the first one on and the last one off um so just keep thinking that as, as you're doing it as well this is something you would be surprised like it just it takes some repetition if you don't really know it. Like kids have a really hard time with that. And that is something I was always eagle eye with. Like, okay, oh, wait, nope, you're going to the wrong one. Which one comes first? You know, and just being repetitive about it is, is good. And if you have to be repetitive with yourself, that's okay too. That's how you learn. Yep. Well, and then the other thing with cinches too is uh, back cinches and how tight they should be. Yes. Um, that's something I used to do wrong for several years and didn't realize it was supposed to be as tight as it was um so <laughs> with a colt starting when you put a back cinch snug it can make your horse buck like it and so um for the first couple years of colt starting i actually didn't even put on a back cinch 
um, because it was just one more strap to have to get secured before the horse might take off and blow. So it was like, I don't want one more thing to have to do up, <laughs> you know? Um, so I didn't even put one on. And then when I did put one on, I put it, I didn't have it super loose, but it definitely, you know, there was maybe an inch of air there, of, of a gap there. And I knew I shouldn't have it big enough for a foot to get through. So I, I you know, I knew, I knew well enough for that. But um, the whole purpose of your back cinch is to hold the back of your saddle against your horse's back so that it doesn't pop up. If I have an inch gap there, that is not serving its purpose. <laughs> it's, it's, that saddle can still pop up. And especially after you ride a horse for 10, 20 minutes, they're going to suck up a little bit because they've been using their muscles and their body and everything. So their, their core will, um, will suck up just a little bit. And then you'll have an even bigger gap. Um, and then especially too, when you put your weight in the saddle, it sits down just a little bit lower. So that one inch gap then just went to two inches. And then when they suck up a little bit, that goes to three inches. And, and then you end up with something that could potentially have a foot go through it and, and create a big accident. So I like to tell people, get it tight, but not cinched like your front cinch, like your front cinch, you're going to cinch that thing up pretty tight. Um, I mean, don't cut your horse in half guys, but it is going to be pretty tight because you need to make sure your saddle is going to stay on the back cinch, get it tight um, so that there's zero gap. Um, and then if you are concerned about, you know, how much after I sit in the saddle or um, after I've ridden for 10 minutes, how much of a gap do I still have? Get off after you warm up your horse, check your back cinch. If you need to tighten it one, tighten it. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, it all, <laughs> when you really look or you really think about the functioning of the saddle, the, every piece has a purpose. And with the back cinch, I see so many people riding around with like a foot of gap back there. And it's like, well, what's the point of even having it on there at that point? Um, and like Camry said, the point of a back cinch for r- Western riders is because your Western saddle is so long and so big that when you just have the cinch at the front, the cinch is literally like made to just hold the front of the saddle on. So when it's only holding the front of the saddle, it'll naturally leverage the back of the saddle up some. So that's what the back of the cinch is for, like Camry was talking about. Um, But also with the tightness, I don't know, this is what I do or what I have kids do. But with cinches, my rule of thumb is I want to be able to fit three fingers through the between my horse and and my latigo. So the latigo is the the long piece of leather that you use to cinch up your horse. I like to fit three fingers in, but not really be able to pull this the latigo up. Um, so that that makes sure that there's enough give there that the horse can breathe fine. They're not like they're not suffocating under <laughs> under the cinch. But if if you do have quite a bit of give there, it's going to loosen up even more as as you ride, like Camry said. So I like to just make sure I can put three fingers through, but I can't pull it off. With the back cinch, my rule of thumb is I want to be able to get three fingers through and have a little bit of give. So I can pull it up, but like I would say maybe like a quarter of an inch or a half an inch is all when I first put it on. And then you could, like Camry said, always get off and check it again after your warm up. That should just, I think, be a really good habit you should get into. After you warm up, you should always be rechecking your rigging before you move on to more advanced things and in, into your into your riding routine just for safety because you just never know <laughs> yeah for sure so 
before you tighten up your cinches fully, one thing that a lot of people don't know and don't think to do is to give wither relief to your horse. So we kind of mentioned that in a previous episode when I was talking about a horse that bucked because one of my assistants didn't give wither relief when they tacked it up. Um, and so what wither relief is, is when you put a pad on and then you put that saddle on top of it, it pushes that pad downward. So then you get this pad that is being pulled tight across the withers. And if you imagine you having a shirt or hoodie on and someone grabs it and pulls it tight against the back of your neck um, on your essentially wither area, and you had to wear that for an hour with it being pulled tight against you, you would probably be pretty irritable. Like that's, that's not a super comfortable feeling. Um, and so what you want to do is you're going to like what I do is I grab the horn or the pummel, grab the pad, kind of jerk a little bit on the saddle, like lift up just so that I can get that pad lifted. So I'll kind of lift up on the saddle and the pad at the same time, pull that pad up into your gullet um, under your pummel so that there is a gap of at least two fingers under your pad to your horse's withers. You want to have some room there and some breathability there. And even with the pads that come with the little cutouts for wither relief, you still need to do that. Um, that's not like, oh, well, that serves that purpose because you do still have that piece at the front of the saddle that, or the front of the pad that needs to come up off the wither so it doesn't create a pressure point there that's going to sit there and rub and irritate your horse. So mm -hmm. big, well, big one there. And just really quick, for people who don't know terms like pummel and gullet, if you're in a Western saddle, that's the area where your horn sits and it's just under your horn. So you should, if the saddle is on your horse, there should be a gap between your horn and where your horse's withers are or their shoulders are. If there is not, you need to get a different saddle. Don't ride your horse in that saddle. <laughs> please because <laughs> that that'll cause a lot of damage to your horse's shoulders um and can put you in danger as well but that that's where that is in an english saddle it's that same area it's just the front of the saddle there's again there should be a little gap between the very front of the saddle and where your horse is at that's that's what we're talking about there um yeah just just terms for people who may not know those terms so one big thing too that I want to mention, which I can't remember if we mentioned it in another episode or not, but I'm going to say it again. Um, as you're doing all of this, tacking your horse up, getting your stirrups the right length, do not go under your horse's head when they are tied. That is one of my biggest pet peeves, safety things that like I get horrified about if I see someone do it. Um, I don't care if your horse is the most broke horse in the entire world, never go under their head if they're tied. Um, it is just not a good place to be. So <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get off my soapbox right there. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's a soapbox I, I dive on too. That is a big one, especially teaching little kids because it's like, oh, but it's so much faster if I go under their head, but horses cannot see you under yeah. there. Some horses aren't used to that. That puts you in perfect striking position, perfect biting position. And if the horse gets spooked by something else, perfect position to get squished between the horse and the fence. So yeah, I'm with you. Well, <laughs> Don't go under your horse's neck. <laughs> funny story. Um, I had this teeny tiny little girl that was, she was three years old and uh, they just brought her for these little lead line lessons because she is just nuts about horses. She just loves horses. So 
she was like, I would pick her up and hold her so she could help brush the horse and everything. And, and, um, at one point she was on the ground and I'm like, okay, we're going to walk around him and go brush his other side. And she started to walk under his head and it's quasi and he doesn't care, but it still was like, I am never like, I will never let a kid go under there. So I just like quickly grab her. Cause she's just teeny, you know? So I just, as she's about to go underneath him, I grab her and pull her back. And I scared her so bad. Like she was like, why did you grab me? <laughs> and I felt so bad that I scared her. Um, but yeah, I was just like laughing. I'm like, I'm so sorry, sweetie. And so then we had to be like, it's okay. Like, let's just keep brushing him. <laughs> like, Well, I mean, but even that, like, she's always going to remember that because you did scare her a little bit. She's always going to remember, oh, last time I tried to do that, it turned into kind of like a, a startling experience. Like that's yeah. going to solidify. I mean, don't, I, I wouldn't say always scare the kids, but <laughs> it is a great learning, learning yeah. position. But she well, was so cute. She was, yeah. she was a doll, but yeah. anyway. <laughs> well, and it's tangent. just, it's good habits to get in. Cause like you said, quasi is a horse that's like, yeah, he's going to be fine if you do do that. But what I keep telling kids is, yeah, my horses will be fine if you do make that mistake. That's why I use them in my lessons. But not every horse you ever touch is going to be okay. And that's why I teach you the safety with the horses that will be okay. (laughs) With the horses that aren't going to do these things. Because then you get to practice. And if you make a mistake, it's not going to end your life. But you're not always going to have horses like this, you know. So. Yeah, not every horse is a lesson horse <laughs> and is bomb proof with every little thing. And like my kids, I am a like strict, strict mom when it comes to safety around horses because I have colts. So they can't just crawl into the pen with them and hope that they're not going to like crowd their space and step over top of them or spook and do something silly or whatever. So my kids from day one of being around horses, it's it's been very very clear to them of you go like at least 10 feet out behind any horse whether it's our horses or my client horses that's just what you do and um (laughs) I am gonna share a little funny story here of Thea not listening to the rules so you remember Bob Mm -hmm. so I talked about him in a previous episode and how he was just this like bomb proof like you could not get this horse to buck um I could put beginners on him when he was only seven years old because he was just so easy going and um (laughs) Thea when she was little she had to have been probably three or four he was tied and she comes up behind him like maybe maybe five feet from him and goes boom and like it like scares him and he he jumps and he looks at her like what was that for <laughs> and i was sitting there like if that had been any horse but bob oh, yeah. so she got uh, again a little bit of like a, a talking to because that could have ended her life you know yep. if that had been a horse that would have kicked her she'd have been dead mm-hmm. and um so it was like you never do that again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Do not scare a horse. She just thought it was funny, but uh, yeah, but she never did it again. So the talking to must have worked. <laughs> like, oh, I had I had an experience similar to that where I had a group of three kids. So we had three horses tied up, and I teach them two ways to go around a horse. Like one, like I'm like, no, I don't. Not even ten feet. I want twenty, thirty feet. Like 
go twice as far as you think you should away from the back of the horse because you just you never know what can happen like whether the horse pulls back and gets loose or they kick out and they're able you know like whatever like you always go further like twice as far as you think you should um the other one is you know get a close as you can to your horse like as long as they know put your hand up on their rump get as close as you can to their feet and go around because that way if they do kick you it's and this is only if they kick if they pull back like I'm sorry that's not safe um but if they do kick you it's not going to do that much damage it's going to hurt like hell but you're probably going to be fine um so I let them choose. Like, I, I never say do this one or do that one. It's just, you can choose these two. Anything other than that, no way. That Those are the only two you can pick from. But I had one girl, I was helping, I was helping one kid with one. And <laughs> this changed the way that I presented my lessons after, after this experience, because I'm helping another kid with something and she goes to go around. So she goes around her horse just fine, puts her hand on his rump. Then she goes to the next horse in line and puts her hand on his, on her rump. And that horse had no idea she was there, scared the crap out of that horse. I mean, and oh yeah, I mean, again, I love lesson horses <laughs> because the horse was just like, you know, like sucked up, turned around, but had the presence of mind to look before it kicked. And so scared her enough, startled her enough because of the horse's reaction that then, okay, we pulled everyone together. You cannot do that method unless you go up to the horse's neck first, <laughs> like go to the horse's neck, make sure it sees you, then you may do that one. But there are things you learn and you just are so thankful that you've got those wonderful, wonderful horses. Yep. Yeah. Lesson horses are worth their weight in gold. I tell you what. <laughs> they really are. Oh my word. So little dude stirrups for kids so the tapaderos Ooh, i love these i use these in my lessons but i'm gonna let mm -hmm. you handle it because you use them for your own kids i use them for my lesson kids but what are they yeah. why do you like them so little dude stirrups um that's just one of the brand names of them you can probably get them in with a different name but they are just stirrups that go over your saddle horn for western saddles um so that a little tiny kid can ride in a saddle that's the stirrups are not going to go that short um and I had bought a pair that were used but they were still in great shape they were leather and I really loved them but I didn't realize when I bought them that they didn't have the tapaderos on them which I didn't think was a huge deal do you want to tell them what tapaderos are yeah uh, so tapaderos are when the front of the stirrup is wrapped in leather uh, so that the foot cannot go through the stirrup and you know I just thought oh they're just like decorative you know for these little kids stirrups oh no um at one point Thea's little tiny feet went through the stirrup and like my mom brain just was like because <gasps> <laughs> like, oh, danger, danger 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 yep. danger <laughs> like warning warning because if if she had come off like if I mean, I'm putting her on quasi. He's pretty darn safe, but horses are horses. They're animals and shit happens. So I'm sitting here thinking if she were to come off with her foot, having gone clear through the stirrup and get stuck. And I mean, her little head would be right at hoof level as they're running. And so I was just like, nope. And I sold those um, and bought a pair with tapaderos on them so that I just had that security of knowing there is no possible way their foot can ever go through this stirrup because I would rather have my kid hit the ground than get caught up. 
and hung up on a horse. Um, but yeah, those, those little dude stirrups are awesome because we bought a saddle for trip. Um, and he's my eight-year-old and the seat was a 13 and a half. So it's one he can use for several years. So it's a tiny bit big on him now, but he can grow into it but the stirrups didn't quite go short enough. And even if we punched extra holes, the way that the fenders were shaped, we couldn't raise the, the stirrups anymore. So he's able to fit in this 13 and a half inch seat, put those little tapadero stirrups up there, and then he can ride in it right now and still have the security of having some stirrups um, without me having to buy a saddle now and then a saddle in a year or two. And then, um, just keep changing seat size, um, then it makes it a little bit easier there. So a lot cheaper too. A lot. That yeah. And expensive. <laughs> yeah. And it does seem expensive. Like I remember looking at these stirrups and being like, oh, because they're like a hundred dollars <laughs> for these tapadero stirrups. But I do also like the leather ones better than the nylon ones. Mm -hmm. Just because nylon can get brittle real fast, mm -hmm. really fast. And then it can just break um and so I just like the security of having leather and seeing if there are any cracks in it and and um, the durability of it so it's worth it for the leather ones in my opinion yeah I think it is too I do have both um the nylons and the and the leather and I like the nylons just for lessons right like if I if I have a kid who's going to be riding for more than 20 minutes <laughs> then then the leather is definitely I feel like better and it's more comfortable because the nylon can can also pinch a little bit um and uh and it can uh sorry my brain is farting right now but <laughs> it can also tear up your saddle um because the nylon can be pretty harsh so it can like put some pretty good scratches and things into your saddles as well so for me my lesson saddles were, were lesson saddles but I, I use tapaderos for the same reason it's I couldn't afford to buy a bunch of little kid saddles and a bunch of medium saddles and a bunch of big saddles so I tried to get like average size saddles so like 15 16 inch saddles and then make it work with that so those are really great little things um I go ahead I was going to say going along the lines of like products and things like that to like little add on things. Um, one of my favorite kinds of rope is the double braided polyester. Um, so the like your yacht rope. So if you get cotton rope or other types of rope that you just buy at like IFA or tractor supply, they will get like stiff where you can't even bend the rope at all and it'll just be hard and and that dirt will pack into it and it just doesn't it's not very pliable it's not comfortable it feels rough in your hands um, this polyester rope is awesome and it stays like I've had some since I started training nine years ago that I'm still using that are still soft pliable workable um, so they are awesome so if you're wanting good ropes I promise it's worth paying the little bit extra they will last you 10 times longer than any of those other kinds of rope so yeah they're really good um I had a couple more things with stirrups so I want to go back to that really quick if that's okay yeah. um but just a couple of other tricks so where to place your feet in the stirrups I see so many people who will put the stirrups so it's right up against their back heel and their boot 
do not do that please the heel is there just as a precautionary like it'll catch if your foot starts to go that way but you shouldn't start there and here's why <laughs> um if you fall off it's like yes your foot now won't go through the stirrup but it'll leverage your toes up and you can still get caught in that stirrup if you're off, you'll get your toes caught on the top of the stirrup. Your heel is now locked into the bottom, and it's actually even harder <laughs> to get your foot out of that. I had that happen with a student one time. Not a fun experience. Um, so make sure when you look at your feet, you want the stirrup, if you see where um, the balls of your foot are, so where your toes connect to your foot, that's the ball of your foot, you want your stirrup like the end of your stirrup to be at close to the top of that maybe just a little bit behind but only just a little um and that's more just for biomechanical reasons why it would be a little bit behind but for general safety reasons i like to have kids who are just learning to have it right at the ball of the foot so your toes are just barely over the front of the stirrup but that'll give you if you fall off your foot's going to come right out that's exactly what we want we do not want you caught up in the stirrup that's a no-no so the reason the heel is there is to keep your foot from falling through if you were to point your toes accidentally but that does not make you safer if you come off yeah for sure and then even too with um, leg placement along with foot placement in your stirrups uh, some people will will tell me that their ankles hurt from trying to face their toes forward so one thing to help with ankle pain with that is number one, don't push your heels so far down in your stirrup that it's going to lock your ankle out and really just make every movement of your horse hurt your ankle. But also when you're rotating your toes forward, it shouldn't just only come from the ankle. Lift your entire leg up because a lot of people, if you imagine sitting in a saddle, your knees are facing kind of out and to the side a little bit, and then your toes face the same way. So to help the entire leg placement, you're gonna lift your leg, place the side of your thigh, not, not the, the kind of the back and the, in the inside of your thigh, but the, the inside flat part of your thigh up against your saddle. And that's gonna help your entire leg placement all the way down to the ankle, face a little bit more forward instead of facing outward. And it actually comes from the hip as well, because when you lift your leg like that and rotate the hip, um, everything lines up from the hip on down to be able to have better leg placement and and not hurt your joints so much trying to rotate those ankles in because my ankles hurt too if I try and do it that way, right? Of, of doing it strictly from the ankle down to get my toes forward. Yeah, you're going to have sore ankles. So have it come from the hip and go down from there. Yeah, and realize too, your leg is never going to be straight forward because your horse unless you're riding a really, really thin horse is going to be wider than you, <laughs> yeah. like wider than where your legs can go. So my rule of thumb is I don't, if I'm, if I'm looking down at my feet, I want my knees to be like about 45 degree angles. I feel like maybe 60 out from my hips. So like not in a straight line, but they're just out just a little bit. So they're nice snug against the horse's side. And then I'm going to look down and make sure are my feet aligned in the same direction as my knee. That's going to keep your knee happy. It's going to keep your ankles happy. Now you don't want your feet out at a 90 degree angle from your horse. You still want your toes going towards their head, but just realize only in like pleasure disciplines, do you want your toes actually facing forward? <laughs> I've never ridden in any other discipline that requires that. Um, 
every other discipline wants you in a in a relaxed position so you can maneuver your body in in better areas. Um, so rule of thumb, just look down, make sure your toes and your knees are aligned and are slightly towards your horse's face. Does that sound about right to you, Camry? Yeah, for sure. Because, yeah, it's we are much smaller animals than them and our <laughs> our hip width does not usually match their shoulder width unless you're riding a very narrow horse. Um, so it definitely forward, but not perfectly <laughs> parallel to their body. They're going to be facing out a little bit. Yeah. So, yeah, yep. perfectly said. So another thing with like equipment and stuff would be if you like a lot of colors and you like to like switch up the colors of your tack or your reins or your lead ropes um, or your halters, make your own. Uh, I've done that for years. I will buy the rope for cheaper and learn how to braid it or tie the knots or whatever it may be. And I've made my own set of Makati reins um, and the lead ropes I do buy. Um, but I've also made um, your flat like barrel reins because my husband is a team roper. So they like those flat loop reins. So I'll, I've braided those before. I've braided round reins, loop reins. Um, and I just make them out of paracord and um it's it's kind of fun because then you can feel really good about having your like having made your own stuff um but you can just change the color up more often do it a little bit cheaper so kind of a fun little idea there and it's really not that hard like you can find youtube videos or tutorials and things to teach you how to braid your own stuff and it's it's a lot of fun yeah i need to learn how to do that <laughs> you can buy um like the yacht rope in smaller sections too and do it with mm -hmm. yacht rope I think as well and then it'll be a little bit softer than your paracord but yeah yeah yep and then let's see another tack hack is hanging your bridles so that your reins aren't tangled up so this is one thing that <laughs> it's another one of those pet peeves I hate when people hang halters and bridles where this rein is over here and this rein is crossed here and or the, the nose band is down touching the ground or different things. I, I like them hanging nicely so that when I go to put them on, I just grab the whole thing. So with your bridles, what I like to do is take my reins, slide them up my horse's neck. So this is after I dismount. So I'll get off my horse, slide the reins up to the horse's pole, and then I'm going to grab everything from the pole. And if you have a throat latch, undo that, obviously, so you can get it off. And I will grab my reins and my throat latch and my pull strap pull everything off and take my bridle off and hang it up just like that and then that way when I go and grab that same bridle the next time I want to use it I can just take the reins and either loop them over my horse's head because they're already positioned exactly the way they need to be or I will loop them over the inside of my elbow as I bridle my horse and then my reins are never on the ground and getting stepped on or broken or in the mud or I'm sitting here having to untangle or untwist them. Um, so that's, and it's such a simple thing to do. Um, it, it does like take repetition and making that habit of not just yanking them off and then bringing them out in front of the horse. Um, so, you know, changing some habits might be, take a minute for you, but so helpful. And then with the halters too, um, I just like hanging them by the nose band with one loop over so that everything is up off the ground, nothing's in the mud. And then when I grab it again, it's always in the same position. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I do too. And for those who don't know, the pole is the area right behind your horse's ears. 
So yeah. when we say pull, that's what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I do the exact same thing in addition to my pet peeves too. That is <laughs> that is definitely part of my writing lesson program is how to properly put your tack away. Going with that, like properly putting it away, talk about like with your Western um, saddles, your, your latigos. So the big long leather piece that you use to cinch up your, your cinch with. Um, I like, it's hard to explain. I'm trying to think, how would I explain this without you guys being able to see me? Um, but I take it and kind of go on the backside of the latigo and wrap it, like just push my hand up through it. So it has a little loop and then pull it through the, the ring the like the d ring or the square ring or whatever um whatever rigging you have and then just do like a double loop thing and then tie a knot around it so then it doesn't hang down and when you put it on your horse it's just up there you don't have to like pull it up and put it over your shoulder or drag it in the mud or anything and then I'll take my western cinch and normally they've got ties or even a cinch holder on your western saddles and I'll take it up loop it around and put the loose part I'll tie it up in in whatever straps I've got available there and then English saddles I just I take my my girths off and I just put them over the top of my saddle um because there's not really a good good way to put those up <laughs> so I just take them off the billets and the billets are just the straps that that connect the girths on and I put my girth over my saddle so it's there for next time and it's out of my way and I can just set it on and then grab my girth and put it on yeah that's almost exactly how I do it minus one thing which my saddle maker told me this um if your horse gets very sweaty and your cinch is sweaty like on that English saddle and you put it across your saddle that sweat is gonna deteriorate your leather faster so um, if you can hang it like on a wall or on a different rack or um, flip it upside down even uh, depending on what kind of cinch you have because um, you don't want it to shape <laughs> the opposite direction of your horse um, but yeah just be aware of what sweaty parts are touching your leather so that you don't um, deteriorate it even faster so yeah that's yeah a good tip. everything else is about the same as I do <laughs> Look at us so organized and clean. <laughs> I know. We're not like super organized people at all. No, we're not. You should no. see our workspaces. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I want you to tell me about your um, arena drag hack. Oh, this is literally a hack, guys, um, because I'm poor and <laughs> I can't afford my own. So this summer, I literally hand tilled the size of a small arena, a six, well, I did 70 by 120 piece of my pasture, hand tilled it, <laughs> and then went through and picked rock through just so I have a really good place for my horses to run. Normally I'm, or to ride in, um, normally I'm okay with them doing it in the grass, but it was really hard to tell where there were like gopher holes or anything. So I wanted to make sure it was clean and through so I could trust it. Um, and then <laughs> what I did, I took two pallets and tied them together and then an old tire put it in the middle and tied it to that and then put a bunch of like big boulder sized rocks on top of that and then um oh and then on the bottom I have old wire netting fencing um that we use for the horses or for pigs or or whatever that comes out a little bit further than than the pallets so it comes out maybe about two feet behind the pallets and then I took a a uh brain fart again t-bar 
T-bar? T-post. T-post. I took a T-post and I wrapped it in, in, the, in the back of that. So it, it works out really well. I just use towing straps and strap it to the back of my truck. And then I just do a few loops. It smooths everything out really nice. It picks up rocks that I can just go grab and throw out. And it works great for, for my little uh, do-it-yourself arena <laughs> that I've got. <laughs> well, we did, we had one of those really heavy duty plastic pallets that we used for several years. Um, and I think you have to uh, it depends on what kind of footing you have for your arena, because if you have stuff that just packs, 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 this isn't going to work um, because ours doesn't pack the, the arena sand that we got. So all we have to do is just smooth it over. Uh, we don't need to have something that's going to like dig up what has been packed. So if you have something that is packed down like that, you might have to like like my husband made us a, a drag um, years and years ago that was made from old steel, like old junk pieces of steel and rebar because he welds. So he just welded all this together where the rebar was sticking down. And, uh, and so that would dig up uh, the arena. And, and now we have a different one that, that we really like. That's an actual harrow, you know, <laughs> um, but for years, that's all we would do is like once or twice a year, we'd use that big hefty one that would kind of dig it up. Anything that was packed. And then 90% of the time we would just use a, a pallet with some a big piece of steel on it that to weigh it down so that it would smooth it all out so lots of different options and ideas to uh to make it work at your place so yeah yeah you don't have to stop just because you're poor <laughs> you can make <laughs> yeah. lots of things work well and like my little makeshift arena it's it's literally just the dirt that I tilled up right now I, it eventually because we are a pretty clay like it eventually will pack down um but depending on what we decide to do, if we stay close to here, then I'll probably actually make it into an actual arena eventually. So that'll just be the base. But that's what I'm working with right now because it's what I got. <laughs> yep, for sure. Well, I think we've got through everything. I think so. I think we're awesome. good. For us feeling like we didn't have much, <laughs> I we know up our time. So we talked. Let forever. us know if you guys have any hacks that you want to share as well, um, or if you do something a little bit differently. We're always up for learning more and more <laughs> easy things. So feel free to share. Awesome. We will talk with you guys next week. Thank you for listening to The Horsewoman Project. If you have a story to tell, please email us at thehorsewomanproject at gmail.com. Links to both of our websites, social pages, and emails will be added to the show notes, as well as any links that are mentioned or contact information for our guests. Talk to you next week.